Welcome to the Church Explained Podcast, a conversation to grow your leadership and build your church. On today's show, we've got a brilliant guest, a guy called Matthew Bates, and he's got something to share with us around what the gospel really is. Hi, I'm Dave. And I'm Nathan. Welcome to the Church Explained Podcast. And uh, today we're joined with uh, Matthew Bates, who is the Associate Professor of Theology at Quincy University in Quincy, Illinois. And uh, he's written a number of books. His, some of his books are The Gospel Allegiance, Salvation by Allegiance Alone, The Birth of the Trinity, The Hermeneutics of the Apostolic Proclamation, and The Gospel Precisely. He's also the co-founder and co-host of the popular OnScript podcast. So welcome, Matthew. Dave, Nathan, thank you so much for having me. So just say a little bit more about you. After completing a BS in physics from uh, Whitworth University, 1999, Matthew, you began a career in electrical engineering. It says here your life took a bit of a swerve when you began to look at some of the biblical studies program at Regent College University. So it'll be good to pick up on that as we go through. Matthew, you've got seven children, is that correct? Yeah, seven. Um, it's an intense number, and that keeps me very busy. Uh, the oldest is 16, so uh, just here, and I'm in the United States, so just starting driving. Uh, and uh, we have uh, one that just turned four. So we're finally out of diapers, uh, which is, yeah, progress uh, and uh, relief. But uh, it's, it's a great joy, though, to have seven children. Uh, well, it sounds a very busy household, and I, I guess you, you say here you, you enjoy hiking and baseball as well. Any particular favorite team when it comes to baseball? Oh, the San, the San Francisco Giants. Uh, are, that's my baseball team. I grew up in Northern California, so was brainwashed from an early age to uh, be a Giants fan. And they're the best, so why not, right? <laughs> <laughs> They've got to have some fans, eh? Hey, I, I know nothing about baseball. So I am just like laughing along, yeah. thinking I know that what's going off. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's one of those sports that uh, it's nice because you can kind of watch it but not watch it. It's a low, it's a low intensity sport, uh, and so it's good background, and then you can watch as you wish. So I have it on often in the summer. I'll just turn on a game, and it's sort of like having the radio on. You watch when you want to, but you don't watch a lot. Fantastic. Well, hey, it's so good to have you with us yeah. on the podcast today. Uh, we're going to ask you a few questions yeah. as we go through and uh, get some discussion happening. Yeah, why don't you just tell us a little bit, something more about your background, family location, and your role, and um, yeah, just expand on the things that we've just been talking about. Yeah, so, well, my main occupation is professor of theology um, with an emphasis in scripture in particular. Um, And so I've been here at my present post for, I guess this is my 11th, 12th year, something like that. Um, And so I feel like I'm settled into that fairly well. Uh, And mostly what I teach then would be courses on scripture. Uh, I teach a course on Western religion, sometimes on Christian spirituality. I've taught Greek as well. Um, So stuff connected to the Christian tradition, church history, too. Uh, It's a small school, so you get to wear many hats, uh, which is uh, fun and challenging. And, uh, yeah, I did Ph.D. work at the University of Notre Dame. um, So that was an interesting experience, too, as a Protestant um, studying at Notre Dame. Uh, But Notre Dame's a pretty big tent. There's a lot of of different students from different traditions 
and uh, it was a great a great thing to do. So um, yeah, but I got started in biblical studies, especially when I went to Regent College in Vancouver, BC. Some some of your listeners may be familiar with Regent as it has a fairly large international footprint. Uh, but uh, that was um, yeah, it, it's sort of like broadly speaking an evangelical-ish kind of place. Although I don't know if we want to use the word evangelical anymore, as that's been tainted by politics. But um, yeah, back in the day, at least uh, that was um, its identity, uh, and uh, still a place that I very much admire. So uh, yeah, uh, that, that's a bit uh, about me. And um, yeah, I love to hike. Uh, and in fact, um, I have a little bit of free time this afternoon. So I'm going to be heading out to the trail. Uh, there's a state park not too far away from here. Uh, so I'll be I'll try to get in a good five mile hike. And I also have taken up running. So I, I like to jog ah, as well a little bit um, when I get a chance. So well, we'll see how well that done. goes. Yeah, it's not, running's good, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, helps along the way. Mm. Hey, so we want to talk around a little bit about some of the books you've written, and especially I think for us and our audience, maybe around the gospel precisely, mm. which I know it was written for church members. Obviously, you have the other books mm-hmm. you've written as well, more from an academic point of view. Uh, and we were trying to think around this idea around the gospel, um, because in one sense, I think for many people. Um, you would say they probably would have a limited view of the gospel. Uh, and I wonder if you could just maybe begin to speak into that, uh, around that subject. You know, why, why is it a limited view and, and what should be different? Yeah, well, I think that along with many things in life, there's a desire to simplify, and being simple is good. Um, We'll agree with that. Um, But maybe the tendency has been to simplify the gospel in the wrong direction, so that um, some of the ways in which the gospel has at least tended to be simplified is focused on especially forgiveness of sins, right, and that trusting Jesus is the Savior so that your sins can be forgiven so you can go to heaven, Um, or trusting in his righteousness alone and not works, Um, trying, like, the the various ways in which it's been simplified, um, I think don't actually capture the essence of the gospel as we would find it revealed in Scripture. Um, on the one hand, those things could be true, right, that we do want to trust Jesus as Savior and uh, we want to do so for forgiveness of sins. And it could also be true that um, we have to be thoughtful about how works fit into salvation, right? But um, that doesn't mean that those are the gospel, right? The gospel may have a sharper definition in Scripture. And that's what the projects are designed to help us recover, would be a, a sharper definition of Scripture that has a more expanded view. Mm. So what, how, would you, uh, how would you describe that in uh, maybe in your kind of simple terms? Uh, what, what would be that entire gospel message? Yeah, so we, as we think about the entire gospel, I actually break it apart into a, like kind of 10 steps uh, in the gospel precisely. But it has a, simple, a simpler kind of way of summarizing that is Scripture's own way of summarizing, and that would be that Jesus is the Christ. Right, or that Jesus is the king. And so I think one of the problems has been in our way of thinking about salvation is that there has been a tendency to reduce the term Christ to an empty signifier that's either Jesus's last name or just another way of referring to Jesus, um, but it's, it's been emptied of its royal content. Right? The, the word Christ, the word Messiah, you know, anointed one, uh, you know, was connected to an expectation of a king that would come in the line of David. And um, 
So studies have shown, um, and even some recent studies have shown in New Testament scholarship, that the Christ was an honorific, uh, which is a certain kind of title. And a, a, a similar kind of thing would be like Judas Maccabee, right? Um, in the time just before Jesus, Judas uh, Maccabee was a warrior, and his the, the title Maccabee wasn't actually his name. Um, he was the son of Mattathias of Modane. The Maccabee title meant the hammerer which is an awesome title for a warrior. Um, yeah. and so, but it <laughs> like wasn't it. an empty title. Like when people called him Judas Maccabee, it was an, a way of honoring his prowess as a warrior. Um, similarly, Jesus Christ, the Christ part, was a way of honoring Jesus and saying he's the king. So we, we have to be careful not to empty that. And so the Bible, as it's summarizing, says that Jesus is the Christ. That's the gospel, and we would have that summary in numerous places. Um, but beyond that, then, as we look at how does the, how's the, what's the fullness of the gospel as it expands beyond Jesus being the king? Well, it's that this king preexisted with God the Father. And then God the Father sent the Son and sent him in a very specific way to take on flesh, like the incarnation, into the line of David. So it's a fulfillment of the promises that God made to David and, the, and going back to the promises God made to Abraham. Uh, and so as Jesus then is incarnated, he takes on human flesh. Um, then he becomes visible to people, and people can begin to see his glory. Uh, so he lives a, an ordinary human life, right? Um, and, and in the sense of a, an ordinary life, in the sense of being fully human, but extraordinary, right? In the sense of being obedient to God, uh, and then dies for our sins. Uh, and of course, we don't want to miss the cross as part of the gospel, as it's very much part of the gospel. Uh, and then he's buried uh, as a confirmation that his death was real. And then on the third day, he's raised again from the dead, and both his death and resurrection are said to be in accordance with the scripture. So again, it's closely linked to all that God's been doing throughout the story of Israel. Uh, after he's raised from the dead, he then appears to many witnesses. Uh, and so as he's viewed by these many witnesses, that's also gospel, right? confirming the reality of his resurrection. And oftentimes, I think that's where we stop the gospel, would be like with his death and resurrection. But the New Testament actually puts the stress on what happens next um, as maybe the climax of the gospel, or the most important part. And that's because next he ascends to the right hand of God the Father and is installed as king. And that's when he becomes the Christ in the fullest sense. So if the gospel is Jesus is the Christ, well, when does he become the Christ? Well, there's a sense in which he's already the Christ chosen before time began by God the Father, but that doesn't become a historical reality till he's anointed at his baptism, and then it doesn't uh, come into its fullness until he's installed at God's right hand, because then he has a throne. Now he's actually ruling in power. As Paul puts it, he's the son of God in power, um, and Romans uh, 1.3 uh, and one four. So uh, anyway, uh, and Paul describes all that as gospel. So once he's enthroned, then um, he sends the Holy Spirit as part of the gospel, and then finally uh, he will come again as the judge. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Yeah, and and, and of course that's quite um, quite much a, a lot wider than I suppose how most people would view the gospel yeah. because. I think most people view the gospel, as you say, Matthew, that it sort of stops and the climax is the cross and the resurrection. And for many people, that's how they understand the gospel. It's that moment of making a decision, having their sins forgiven. But the cross is the central part of the gospel for so, so many people. Um, your view is that you're saying it's much wider than that. It's much bigger than that. It's, it, it mustn't just stop there. It's got to go further. Mm. 
Uh, and of course, you talk about this idea of Jesus being the Christ and being the king. Uh, could you say some more about that? Uh, you know, what, what difference does that make for us about Jesus being the king and around about us having loyalty to Jesus? Yeah. So once we recognize that the gospel is about how Jesus became king, right, and not that it's not about the cross and the resurrection too, but that that, that is sort of the climax, is that Jesus is enthroned at the right hand, and that's how the benefits of the cross, right, um, that's how they, they're, they're mobilized for us, um, is through his kingship. Once we realize that, it does help us to rethink what it means to have faith in Christ, Right. If we have reduced Christ down to a personal name and it just means the same thing as Jesus to us, uh, then faith in Christ and faith in Jesus um, are very easily left at a simple kind of trust in his saving power or something along those lines or trust that the atonement works or trust that what happened at the cross really did give me righteousness. But when we become aware that the gospel is actually about how Jesus became king, it does help us to think about faith in wider categories, too. Um, and um, some of the studies that I and others have done, Teresa Morgan, for instance, uh, at University of Oxford, has written a marvelous book on faith, um, have shown that faith has a wider reach, too, and that it means faithfulness, fidelity, loyalty, allegiance. And that's sort of like another side of the faith um, image, right? On the one hand, you want to think it does mean trust, absolutely, right? But on the other hand, um, we don't want to shear off inappropriately that word as it also means loyalty or fidelity uh, would be another way of speaking about this. So yeah, this helps us to think about what it means to respond to the gospel fully and may help save, uh, solve some of our faith work problems faith works problems, right? If we realize that really what Paul means by faith when he talks about justification by faith uh, and things like that is that we're giving our loyalty or our allegiance to the king, uh, then that opens up some space for thinking about what it might mean to, um, yeah, to hold faith and works together. Hi, everyone. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. We just want to take a moment and pause and let you know about something exciting we have on offer right here from Icon Open. We help leaders find solutions through our coaching and team training. And we've worked with all types of churches in different countries around the world, from large churches to small churches, and of course, anything in between. And leaders come to us for a variety of reasons. For some, they simply want to get to the next level in their leadership. They want a coach to work with them for a period of time so they can get new momentum or fresh ideas or fresh insights for the next part of their journey. Other leaders will come to us. Maybe they're working through some opportunities or challenges in their church. And just maybe to have someone to think with them and help them process through big ideas like staffing or teams or transitions really does seem to make a difference to them. So if you've never had a coach and you're a senior leader or a leader within a church, we want to encourage you to get in touch with us because we think we can really help you find the solutions you need for the next part of your journey. Have a look at icon.church forward slash coaching and you'll find all the details there of how to connect with us and we look forward to hearing from you very, very soon. Uh, it, it's so good and um, you you use this phrase allegiance quite a lot but I wondered if you'd uh, just uh, kind of expand a little bit on the difference between lordship and kingship uh, as uh, in, in relation to that allegiance. 
Yeah. Well, Scripture obviously uses both metaphors to speak about Jesus, right? He's both our Lord and our King, so we would see both of them as fully appropriate. You know, um, that's a good question, and I've thought about that a bit before, but um, as I have, mostly I've come to the determination that it's not an enormous difference other than maybe degree of sovereignty, right? Um, A Lord um, can be a a more petty chieftain, right? Um, But a King um, has has a greater purview of sovereignty. And so I think that's probably what's intended in speaking about Jesus as the Christ, right? Um, He was to be a king that would come in the line of David and would restore the fortunes of Israel, but he was always understood to have significance for the nations. So I think in speaking in that way, um, it helps us to realize he's not just some sort of petty lord, uh, but is in fact um, the king of all kings, as he's now not just the king of Israel, not just significant for the nations, but has been installed at the very right hand of God. That's the throne from which he rules, so he has a universal reach in his sovereignty. So I think the kingship metaphor is important for us to, um, yeah, to, to hold front and center in our minds uh, because it, it um, I think, more accurately tracks um, the degree of sovereignty that Jesus holds. Hmm. And, and Matthew, if we were to pick up on the the Ephesians 2.10 scripture around that, you know, you know, this idea that it's by faith and by grace alone, your mm-hmm. interpretation of that then would be that uh, this faith, it's, it's more than just faith as in trusting, mm-hmm. but it's to do with faithfulness towards the king. I wonder if you could just say it a little bit more, because I, I think that's pretty interesting, because yeah. I think a lot of people will feel that having faith in God is trusting in his promises, or yeah. what you're saying, it's something much bigger than that. It's about having a loyalty to, to God rather than just trusting in his promises. Could you say some yeah. more about that? Yeah. And so, yeah, we don't want to deny that it involves trusting in his promises, right? As um, certainly when Paul talks about Abraham, he talks about Abraham, you know, trusting in God's promises. But I think also even even then, sometimes the promises get truncated. Um, because really, you know, when you're reading, let's say, Romans 4, which is the passage that illustrates, you know, especially um, Abraham is the example of, um, you know, exercising faith in the promises, that the, the content of the promise isn't that Abraham himself can be justified by faith, as if the message is like, just trust and you're good to go, right? The message is actually that he has to trust in a specific promise, and the promise is that through his offspring, all nations will be blessed. So, um, and, and this anticipates the royal seed that will come, right? There's, there's an implicit kind of trusting in the king that will come and will bless all nations. That's even part of the promise that Abraham is trusting in. Um, so, yeah, anyway, but circling back to the Ephesians passage, yeah, when we talk about grace or the concept of grace, that's a multifaceted idea. Uh, but I would understand grace to be something that's effective, right? Um, so that it's um, whenever Paul talks about us being saved by grace, like in Romans, Paul talks about grace ruling over us. So it's something that actually is effective and that is um, something that's historically given as a gift. Um, whenever we talk about grace, um, we're not talking about just some sort of abstract fluid. Um, what Paul seems to have in view is mostly the content of the gospel itself, right? That is the ultimate gift. And God gave it to us when we were in a human condition where we did not deserve it at all. Um, as humanity as a whole was lost and in darkness, God gave us grace. He gave us a gift, and it wasn't because we as humans deserved it, right? But then uh, as part of that grace, like that, there is a, a need to respond to the grace, and the way that we respond is by um, exercising what's called pistis, right? Faith or faithfulness or fidelity or allegiance, and that as we do so, then um, 
we we come to recognize we're not in a right position with God on the basis of works or works of Torah. It's not about um, this this prior Jewish boundary marker because uh, the universal salvation that Jesus wants to bring is for all humanity, right? Not just for um, yeah, not just limited to the Jewish people. So uh, anyway, yeah, we can think about um, how to rework passages like um, yeah Ephesians. 2, 8 through 10. And I actually work through that extensively in, in some of my more scholarly books, like um, oh, the, gospel, um, the, the Gospel Allegiance book. Gospel Allegiance is where I especially hammer away at the, the Ephesians 2, 8 text and show different ways of thinking about it. Yeah. Very helpful. So mm. I, I was trying to think through then, Matthew, um, around the, the wider picture of the gospel, Jesus being the king, us showing allegiance to him, compared to a more narrow view of the gospel that so many people believe that the cross is the climax. Um, for, for the every sort of day leader mm-hmm. listening to that, what, what do you think is the big difference? Like, you know, is it okay for them just to have that or do they really need then I take attention, put their attention on this Jesus being the king and showing allegiance to him? What do you think is the difference and, you know, what, what difference can it make in people's lives, I suppose? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the practical difference would be a recognition that um, that disciple making is the path of salvation. Um, it helps us. It helps open up space for us to make sense of Jesus's words, his very strong words that call us to follow him in order to enjoy salvation. Um, and uh, so as we think as we think about what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus, for instance, um, it's hard to reconcile that with a um, the idea that, like, no, on the other hand, what Jesus really wants is for me simply to trust in his promises. Well, which is it, right? Is Are we saved by following Jesus or trusting in his promises? I think an allegiance model helps us to see that, that both are in view. So I, th- I think it helps, um, it helps us shift the church's energy away from kind of a mass evangelism approach where um, you know really the, the the preacher feels like okay I have the congregation in front of me and what I really need to do is I need to get them week in week out to continue trusting in God's promises for them and so that they can have confidence that they really have right standing with God right that's oftentimes the the view or to get them to make a decision right if they haven't made that decision yet that they make the initial decision to trust um, and then get baptized and then once they've made that decision well you just want them to keep keep clinging to the promises um, it shifts the the model of evangelism away from that to one that emphasizes disciple making because um, really then what you're trying to do week in, week out is to get people to swear allegiance to King Jesus and to submit their lives to him, to show, to show fidelity to him, right? Um, and so it helps us to realize that it's not just about the promises, although those are still important, right? But um, that there's this wider purview. And I think it makes sense of why Jesus calls people to be disciples, to come and see, to experience life under his kingship, because the quality of life under his kingship matters. It's not just a transaction. You're not just coming to Jesus to get a transaction, right? To get a forgiveness, you know, um, you know, ticket. Uh, but you're instead coming to Jesus to learn from him experientially. And that's actually integral to your salvation, as salvation is then understood to be more of a process, which is how the New Testament speaks about it. Um, but I think in our simplifications of salvation, we've oftentimes reduced it to a one-time, one-moment-in-time decision kind of thing, but that's not how the New Testament presents salvation. So I think it connects more fully to a holistic biblical theology. Mm. 
Yeah, no. I love that. Yeah, it's super helpful. I, I just wonder, um, just off the back of that, many many churches would take that moment where somebody raises their hand in a service, says yes to Jesus for the first time. They would call that a salvation moment. Um, would you uh, rephrase that? How would you phrase that moment where somebody makes that first step? Yeah, well, we don't want to. We don't want to suggest making a first step isn't important. Of course, right? We do want people. People do need to make an initial choice. Um, I would probably f- just frame that um, whole invitation differently, right? Um, I don't know that I would call it a. Um, yeah, that what 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 it means when somebody raises their hand is hard to weigh. Like um, the New Testament perspective would be that what's saving is that whenever you confess your loyalty to Jesus, you repent from other loyalties. You're turning away from those other loyalties that have dominated your life, uh, saying that those are somehow not not of God's will, right? And you're now embracing um, loyalty to King Jesus. And as part of that, um, of course, uh, traditionally you get baptized, right, as um, a way of expressing your loyalty or your allegiance. So we should understand baptism in its original context in the New Testament to be kind of an allegiance repentance complex, right? Like you were calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus for forgiveness of sins, but that was also an expression of fidelity to him and a desire to um, accept his kingship and submit to him. Um, and that as part of that, then, uh, as you were baptized, you would have been understood to be entering into the, the, the community of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so it was all like, it was all part and parcel of one thing. And, um, and so helping people to get a better sense of um, the need to publicly confess that they want to be loyal to King Jesus. You know, and that's um, something that is awkward maybe in our current church context because we don't have a lot of infrastructure that allows it on a week-in, week-out basis. We might come together and sing some songs and hear a sermon or whatever it might be, but there's not a lot of opportunity to individually and corporately come together and say, why I'm here is I'm confessing loyalty to Jesus. Um, that's what I'm doing here, right? And I and as we confess loyalty to, to him together, we're giving him authority and space to rule as the king. Um, so unless we have those kind of mechanisms in place in church, it, it has become kind of awkward, right? Uh, how, do I, how do I get this person an opportunity to publicly confess their loyalty to Jesus? So, I mean, if I was a pastor and I'd presented the gospel and I had a raise the hand situation, I would follow up with that person and say, you need to, in front of our congregation, ex- confess your faith, right? Uh, your loyalty to, to King Jesus, uh, because uh, that's what the New Testament models. Um, and then you could do that as part of baptism, um, but if you haven't, you know, assuming you haven't already been baptized, but if you've already been baptized, um, well, then you need to make a public confession probably anyway, right, would be how I would I would deal with that. That's wow. a great answer. It is, yeah. And, and I think, just thinking of the word allegiance, um, obviously it's not just a one-off event. It's a continual process mm. as part, part of discipleship that we're continually saying to Jesus, we're going to show our mm. allegiance to you. And for me, that somehow seems a bit stronger rather than, hey, we've made a decision, we're following Jesus. And, and then people do whatever yeah. they want to do. Now, mm. hopefully they don't, but sometimes people do. They may, they get their ticket and then they go. Mm. Where allegiance yeah. is saying, hey, all of my life, I've swapped my allegiances mm. from other things to show that loyalty to Jesus. For me, that seem, somehow seems much stronger, Yeah, doesn't it really? Yeah. Yeah, 
I think that, um, yeah, some of the confusion has come just around, like, we just need to switch the order there, right? Like, the, the order that we've traditionally evangelized has been like, accept Jesus as your Savior. Okay, now the heavy lifting of salvation has been done, and oh, by the way, you should follow him as your Lord now. Um, that might be a nice idea to express your love for Jesus, but it's not seen as essential to salvation, right? Whereas the correct New Testament perspective is that the gospel is Jesus is the king. You confess your loyalty to him, right? That's the heavy lifting of salvation. It's right there. And that as a benefit of his kingship, right, that he extends the benefit of justification and forgiveness to his whole people. So it's as you enter into the people of God, as you swear allegiance to Jesus, you, you become part of the forgiven community. So as we get that backwards, right, we think it's about individual liberation from sin, so then I can follow Jesus. The truth is the other, right? It's about commitment to Jesus as king, which then actually moves you into the community of the liberated. Um, so yeah, we flipped the order and we've lost the communal dimension both. Yeah, no, that, that, that's in interesting to pick up yeah. that because, as you said, a lot of people will think forgiveness is the point of transition from one kingdom into the other, mm. where you're saying it's allegiance and then right. forgiveness becomes part of that allegiance to Jesus. And Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah the, I think the best way to frame it, yeah. as I've been working on, at least for me, that I found most helpful is to, is to frame it as a benefit. Forgiveness is a benefit of the gospel, um, and it's a benefit that, yeah, that the king gives his whole people. So the question is, like, how do I become part of the king's people? Well, it's by giving loyalty to the king, and then I'm immersed in all of those benefits that the king gives. Yeah, and part of those benefits is forgiveness, justification. Yeah. So it's all that stuff alongside that, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, if, if, if we were to pick up just a little bit further on that, so Nathan was asking you, how would you reframe that to your church? Obviously, your books have been out a little while, and um, I'm sure you've been having conversations with other people on podcasts and other pastors. W what's the biggest change those churches have made, do you think, that has allowed uh, this view of the gospel to be used within their churches, or what would you recommend? Let's say someone's listening. Mm. What, yeah. what would you suggest? Um, I think that as pastors, you have a lot of... Um, leeway because your congregations already trust you. Um, so I think that one of the things you can do is you just begin introducing different language in your sermons to talk about these things. You, you start talking a lot more about Jesus as King, right? About Jesus as the Christ. Sw stop just saying Jesus Christ and start saying Jesus the Christ or Jesus the Messiah, right? Which is 100% fine for how to translate that phrase in the New Testament. Um, and just help people to kind of pick up on Jesus's kingship more and then starts, you know, instead of just speaking about faith, like mix in language of fidelity or loyalty or allegiance and begin to help them to see um, this wider view. And then um, after you've introduced that language, um, there may be occasions where you want to explicitly teach around um, you know, a King Jesus gospel, um, you know, like you could deliberately work through resources. I have some Scott McKnight's, the King Jesus gospel would be another, you know, excellent example. Um, and lead, lead, especially maybe key leaders, elders through, um, you know, like, why are we doing, like, why are we changing language here? And, and to help them understand some of the underpinnings, because I think honestly, it takes a long time. That's, I guess my experience is I've, um, seen churches make this transition is it actually takes quite a while. 
Um, congregations are so used to hearing the gospel presented a certain kind of way, and there's powerful cultural underpinnings to that, that it just takes, even if they've heard it and they intellectually get it, um, it, it they'll, they'll default back into other ways of thinking about it constantly until they've heard it about a hundred times. Um, and it's true for me too. It's, it took me a hundred times of rethinking it, you know, before I could begin to articulate it and to um, begin to embrace a different way of thinking about it fully. I think that's just, you know, we're, it's wired into our DNA, right, to think about the gospel in this way. So uh, it takes time. Um, yeah, so I think pastors can make that shift and then uh, create allegiance opportunities, right, within your church where there's uh, more space to publicly acknowledge Jesus' kingship um, and that that's fronted more, right, that there's more of an emphasis on giving King Jesus space to rule and thinking about what that might look like. Yeah, I think the whole conversation has been super helpful mm. and uh, helpful for people to think about the gospel in that full picture and, um, you know, even just um, even just even little shifts that they can make. I'd love to hear, um, Matt, um, your greatest inspirations and, uh, you know, who has been that greatest inspiration to you and why they were that greatest inspiration. Oh, uh, that's hard. I mean, I mean, there's always personal, you know, people like uh, my mother is a, a woman of faith and um, just also one of the most kind and generous people in the world. Um, you know, the, the kind of person who it seems like never has a bad view or a, a bad word about anybody. Um, so my mother has been very inf influential and instrumental in my own faith journey um, on, a, you know, kind of a more like intellectual level, like, uh, I've, you know, and, and personal level, too. I've always just deeply admired the Apostle Paul. I mean, you can't, obviously, Jesus, you can't you can't choose him, though. That's that's sort of unfair. Right. Everyone's going to choose Jesus. But if I'm not going to choose Jesus, uh, the Apostle Paul, I did Ph.D. work on the Apostle Paul specifically because I've, I've always admired Paul and been challenged by his thought. Right. Is he's a. He's a deep and subtle thinker, and it's it's hard to track Paul. Like you really have to have your game on, right? To uh, to follow all that Paul's trying to give you. But his life was so admirable too, as an expression of the crucified, um, cruciform life. Um, that I've deeply admired Paul. On a more modern front, in terms of scholars, I particularly enjoy. I love Michael Gorman, um, who's a, a scolar who's mostly written on Paul. Uh, N.T. Wright has been a big influence on me, too. I admire his work. Um, yeah, but th there'd be numerous scholarly influences, but those are a couple of, of folks I admire. Right. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, and, Marty, if you were to share one other big idea to our listeners that you haven't already shared, what would that hmm. be? Another big idea. Well, I spend all my time thinking about the gospel and <laughs> salvation. Um, you know, I, I suppose it's maybe if I, it would be another way of repackaging some of these ideas, but it would be um, to say that, that what it means for the church to be the church, what constitutes the church in the first place is the confession that Jesus is king, right? It's in the gospels whenever Peter first says, you are the Christ, that Jesus says, you know, that on this rock he's going to build the church. And it's because Peter in his confessing capacity has just made the statement that is the only statement that ever founds the church, right? To confess that Jesus is the king is what the church does. Um, and if it's not doing that, it's not the church. So I think that the degree to which the idea of Jesus's kingship is constitutive for the very fabric of what the church is, um, is something that uh, we need to be more thoughtful about. Uh, so yeah, um, 
that would be a, maybe a different way of packaging these ideas. Now, if you want something entirely different, I can talk to you about the, the doctrine of the Trinity, as I, I've done uh, some extensive work on that, too. And uh, if you want, uh, I guess, an additional challenge, you could start thinking about how um, uh, Old Testament passages feature Jesus as king. Or not Jesus, because he's not revealed as Jesus yet. The Christ feature the Messiah. Uh, and the Messiah is already revealed as a speaker and speaking to God the Father in the Old Testament in these very interesting passages. Um, passages like Psalm 69 and, and uh, Psalm 22 uh, would be passages where we would see this kind of thing. Uh, so anyway, uh, that's something uh, to uh, maybe tickle your fancy in an entirely different direction about the Old Testament origins, uh, not just the New Testament origins of the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, very, very good. And, and yeah. I guess even around um, the discussion of what constitutes a church could be a real uh, interesting topic in itself yeah. because there's a lot of conversation out there of what, what does constitute a church, you know? Um, yeah. Is it the size of the, uh, the size of the congregation? Is it the components in the service? You know, from micro church to macro church, and I think maybe you've yeah. hit the nail on the head there. Actually, it's about the confession of Jesus as the Christ and the King, yeah. more than anything, actually. So that would be an interesting uh, topic. Mm. Maybe to pick up another point, but yeah, to repackage that sounds yeah. pretty interesting. I like that. Yeah, and, yeah. We, and we know Matthew, you've got your own uh, podcast yeah. on script. I wondered if you would just give uh, people a little bit of. Uh, some people might be interested to listen to that. Give them a flavor of what happens on there, what you talk about, all of that. Yeah, we're, an, we're a podcast that sort of fits mostly in the um, kind of Bible scholar theology um, academic niche. Like that was when we founded the podcast, I was probably, I guess, some six years ago now, maybe. Um, uh, we noticed that there wasn't anyone really covering that space. Um, now there are more podcasts covering that space along with us. Um, but um, yeah, so we mostly conduct interviews um, around recent books that have been published by academics in biblical studies and theology. So we've been privileged to get some of the leading voices um, in yeah, Christian theology and biblical studies uh, on the podcast, and really to hear what they've been working on, uh, their important ideas that they're contributing to the church. So the podcast was successful in ways I didn't anticipate when I started it. I thought maybe someone might listen, maybe my mom, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, we, it's really grown, and it, it actually got so big and um, uh, that we, we really couldn't handle it on our own, meaning my, my co-founder, Matt Lynch, and I, um, we couldn't really handle it. So we've invited other people to co-host along with us. As we're all busy academics. I mean, we all have have jobs as professors so the on script is sort of a side gig for us um, so we have now a team of I believe seven or do we have eight um, and there's actually a whole little family of podcasts connected to on script there's actually several other podcasts um, that are a part of the on script family we have three podcasts now that are one on archaeology also and one on um, you know poetry in the in the, in the Old Testament so uh, anyway um, yeah if you're interested in on script check it out yeah. The poetry one, that is, that's quite a new one, isn't it? I think that's come. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I listened to yeah. a couple of the episodes at the beginning, I think, when you were launching that. Very interesting right. as well. So, listener, final question for you, Matthew, is uh, what's the one question that no one's asking you that you wish they would? And what's your answer to that question? The one question no one's asking me. Could be on anything. I wish they would ask me. Um, yeah. Hmm. Well, you've asked me most of the questions that I want people to ask. Um, ah, well. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a very very challenging final question. Um, 
the one question people aren't asking me that I wish they would ask. Um, how can I send you lots of money? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm stumped. You guys have stumped me for your final one. I I can't come up with anything right now. Uh, well, not a problem. But listen, yeah. we appreciate you being on the show with yeah. us, and and I think Matthew, some of what you've shared will really help people yeah. to, I guess, rethink what the gospel is. Definitely. Uh, and 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 our encouragement is for people maybe to read your books. That yeah. they're a great start, and even for people in their churches, the the gospel precisely is a great book to give to people. Mm just to get them thinking yeah. on that. Yeah, Matt, is there a great way for people to connect with you? Um, do you have a website, anything, Instagram? Yeah, I, I have a website, um, MatthewWBates.com, and then I'm on, you know, I'm not really on Twitter, but I have a Twitter handle. I mean, I'm on there just very rarely, but um, but then I'm on Facebook too. You can friend request me, and uh, if you if you don't look crazy, I'll probably, uh, you know, um, be glad to accept you as a friend. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's, that's a way people can connect, but yeah, I mean, the, the books I've written are the main resources that I, that I'm trying to get out to people at this point. Um, so yeah, the gospel precisely in particular is more oriented toward the average person. Um, and so it's, it's a good resource for, for leaders. Like, um, I think the, probably the gospel allegiance book is the one I think is the best salvation by allegiance alone is sold better, but I don't think it's actually as good as gospel allegiance. That's the one I think that's the, that's the better resource truthfully. Fantastic. So everyone go buy the gospel allegiance. Yeah. Go yeah. do it. Gospel <laughs> allegiance. Yeah. That's, do that's, it. That's, that's the Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Hey, well, thanks for taking the time with us. Yeah. It's been so good to chat, Matt. Yeah. And, uh, yeah thank you, Dave and Nathan. No, yeah, I appreciate it. It's been great, great to explore the gospel. And, um, I just want to encourage people wherever you're listening, subscribe, like, do whatever uh, to get this out. Maybe even share it with uh, somebody you know will be interested. And check out the show notes. Uh, and you can find resources as well at icon.church forward slash open. But we look forward to uh, having you with us next time on the Church Explained podcast. <laughs>